When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast show number 28. We're really big on things like community and individual development. So, you know, hey, you've got two extra hours added to your day because you don't have to commute to an office somewhere in traffic. So it's it's a lot of like giving our employees the kind of lifestyle that we ourselves strive to have. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody? I am Jay Scott. I am your co host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. And I am here once again with the lady in pink, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol? Just absolutely awesome, honey. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I am so looking forward to digging in more with today's guest. He is just incredibly inspirational in every sense of the word. He has accomplished so much in such a short amount of time, and I can't wait to chat with him more. Yeah, we have an awesome show today. We have a guy who he's been on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. His name is Ryan Dossie. He is a real estate investor, but today on our show, he's going to talk to us about a business that he started just three years ago. And in three years, he has scaled that business to seven figures. He's put in place a management team that's allowed him to basically work just a few hours a week. He is He's just absolutely amazing. And he's done all of this at the age of 26. So if you want to learn how you can scale your business, how you can work on your business and not in your business, if you want to learn all the tips from somebody that's actually done it at a very young age, this is the episode for you. Let's kick off this awesome episode with Ryan Dossie. How are you doing today, Ryan? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We're so looking forward to jumping into your journey and all the amazing things that you're doing and learning more about your business. Yeah. For for those of you who are listening to this and don't know who Ryan is, uh, Ryan's actually a real estate investor. Uh, he has been on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. He was episode 335. So if you listen to the Real Estate Podcast, you may be familiar with him. If you haven't listened to the Real Estate Podcast, it's a great episode. I highly recommend it. But here today on the Business Podcast, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. We're not going to be talking necessarily about Ryan's real estate investing, though we will be touching on it. We're going to be talking about his business, Call Porter. And I'm going to let you, Ryan, tell us a little bit about what Call <laughs> Porter is and, and where it came from. Yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, it is a call center for real estate investors. So investors may be sending letters to people trying to get them to sell a house. It could be pay-per-click online, 
um, could be SEO. Long story short, somebody finds a real estate company, calls them, we handle those inbound calls. Um, so our staff are trained in a lot of like the specifics for real estate investors, like kind of really the nitty gritty. And that's the only kind of niche we serve. So um, we kind of joke that, you know, they're not pretending to, uh, you know, be a doctor's office, then trying to become a real estate investor, then flip flopping to a receptionist for, you know, an oil change. Um, so pretty specialized. Got it. So Excellent. So, so let me, let, yeah, let me just summarize that real quick. So basically I'm a real estate investor. I want to buy somebody's house. I somehow figure out either I send them a letter, I put an ad online, uh, I, I put a something in their mailbox and I want them to call me to hopefully sell me their house. Yep. When, when they call, they're not actually calling me. They're calling you and your call center. And you have people whose sole job it is, is to answer the phones to to potentially get leads from sellers for people like me. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty neat. They'll even book appointments for your employees to go meet with that person on the initial call. Got it. Very cool. I love it. So we're going to dig all into the backstory and the background and how it all started. But to set the stage for our listeners, Ryan, give us an overview of kind of where that company is now, like how many employees you have, how many calls your team handles every month, how many customers, clients, your revenue, kind of the the magnitude of what your business is today. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got over 27 people on payroll. Um, All of our staff are U.S. based. Um, Everybody's actually based out of St. Louis, Missouri, which we can Talk about why (laughs) on that. The business pulls in over seven figures a year. We've got a couple hundred clients we service around the country, ranging from kind of really small people to people who may have, you know, 20, 30 offices in a state. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Excellent. But these are all real estate people. You don't, like you said, you don't take calls for any other industries. It's purely real estate. So the people that are on the other end of of that line, they really can hone their craft and get really good at dealing with potential sellers. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, my background was in um, car warranty sales. So I'm I'm very good on the phone. That was kind of my baptism by fire. I started in that industry when I was 17. Horrible environment for a 17 year old, but got really good at being on the phone What I tell people all the time is even if you're pretty good at being on the phone, our staff take over 10,000 calls a month. You're not ever going to have the exposure that they have to get the practice that they have. Interesting. And so you said you have 27 employees. How do they break down in terms of number of people that are answering calls versus management versus potentially other other, uh, individuals? Good, good question. So we have a CEO who effectively runs the business. We have a COO who kind of puts all of the pieces together. Um, we have a general manager who is kind of over like employees, scheduling, customer service type stuff. Um, we have another gal who also takes calls, but does kind of some of the back end admin stuff. We have a fractional CFO and then the rest of our staff are on the phones. Wow. Okay. I'm going to want to jump back into, into this structure <laughs> in, in a bit, but can you start by telling us just a little bit of backstory? So where did the sure. idea, idea for, for Call Porter come from? How did you uh, initially decide to start this company? What did, where did it grow out of? Yeah. So best way I can explain it is kind of the Marriott business model. If you've ever read kind of their story, mm-hmm. I did not set out with, Hey, I want to own a business. Um, I started out as a real estate investor. And one of my flaws is I'm not very detail oriented. 
So as calls would come in, I would be calling somebody back who I just called, who told me to never call them again under any circumstances. And I'd forgot that I just called them. So I realized like, okay, I'm missing calls. Calls are going to voicemail. A lot of real estate investors just let their stuff go to voicemail. I wanted to pick my stuff up live. So I hired one gal um, out of the car warranty industry and was kind of like, hey, uh, you're just going to take my calls. And then I like to chat when I'm doing something cool. So friends were like, wait a minute, you don't have to take your calls. Well, can she take mine? And it kind of just started to grow from there of, okay, well, we have too many calls for one person. So we need a second person and then a third and kind of went, went from there. Very cool. Okay. So it went from there, but you see you hired one person, then another and another. Was this all completely you starting the business to, or is it was yeah. a private company to have investors, partners? So it's all you and you're hiring more people. No, I, I bootstrapped the snot out of this thing. Um, <laughs> it, my, my initial, like I probably sunk about a hundred grand in initially that really just came from my real estate business but it kind of became this backbone to it of this one cannot run without this one because I'm not going to go back to taking my calls. So it, uh, the the first year wasn't what I would call fun. <laughs> so who was your first paying client? So how did you get, how did you first start marketing? Did, was this, did you go through your network or did you decide early on, I want to build a company? Like, was this an accidental thing no, that you just kind no, of- No, this was, this was totally accidental. Um So I honestly, I should know who my first client was. I don't off the top of my head. I have a few ideas of people it could be, but it was literally just friends of mine that were in masterminds or other groups I was in or people I knew off bigger pockets that I was talking about, you know, hey, this is really working. I don't have to take my calls anymore. And uh, they were kind of like, well, can they take my calls? And then I was kind of like, hmm, maybe this is a business. And it it got to the point where uh, I had about three employees decent amount of customers. And I realized like, okay, I have customer service. I have sales calls. Like I'm doing everything. I should turn this actually into a business because it's, it was just, it was getting too time consuming. Interesting. And what year was this that you kicked everything off? So that would have been like end of 2016, early 2017. Wow. Oh, okay. So a few years ago. So you've yep. grown this thing really, really rapidly. So back in the beginning, you mentioned like right off the bat, you had about a hundred thousand dollars to sink mm-hmm. into the business. What was, what were the expenditures like? Like what did you took that hundred grand that you had earned through your real estate investing? What parts of the business did you focus on with that money? So let me clarify something. So people don't think I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> I did not have a hundred thousand dollars set aside that I was like, Oh, I'm going to build this business. It was like, okay, I'm going to put this on a credit card. This deal made me seven grand. I'm going to throw at this. I can pull this from here. It was a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul early on. I mean, it was literally like bootstrapped is is the best way to explain it. Um, A big part of that, I did a pretty large um, fix and flip, bought a house, put money into it, sold it, made about 60,000. And I was about that much in debt. So it kind of like paid the business off. Um, But- uh, yeah. What, what was your question other than that? No, that's great. I was wondering what you said that you had that money, even though it was bootstrapped and piece mm-hmm. by piece and that type of thing. What were you investing in, in the business to grow this business? Like where did that money go? Was it toward people? Was it yeah. toward a call center technology? What was it? So it was a, it was a mix of call center technology and people. One thing about running a call center, and we can talk about a couple of the fun points of running a call center, but Um, It is very staff cost intensive. With us, we hire early 
and we run with probably an extra employee or two than we need because I would rather have somebody sitting there bored than be dropping calls. That makes perfect sense. And how do you go about finding those people? I would love to get um, some hiring tips. That's always so valuable for our listeners to hear how you go about vetting the right people. Yeah. So um, fortunately for us, my brother and I are, my brother is the CEO who runs the company now, um, which we can talk about how I hired him because that's a fun story. But we just kind of put it out to our network of we're hiring. One of the interesting thing with the car warranty companies in St. Louis is they train people very, very, very well. You have to be just a killer to keep your job, but they treat people extremely poorly. So you have all of these people that are talented and miserable, and we give them the, hey, there's there's no selling. There's, there's no pressure. Like you're literally facilitating this journey for people. And there's stuff they get bonus and stuff off of, but it's nothing like doing retentions or sales or kind of the level of pressure they've been under for years. So um, we kind of shoot out to our network, hey, we're hiring. And that's how we find most of our staff. On the tech side, we use a company called Typeform that basically puts together like a questionnaire. And we make people go through a type form of basically why should we hire you? Give us, you know, one of your favorite calls you ever did, any metrics you have on yourself. And then we also use a company, I believe it's Wise Hire, that includes personality testing in their application. That's really cool. Okay, so you this business has only been around for about three years now. Is, is that about right? Yep. And you've gone from obviously zero revenue three years ago when you kicked things off to you just mentioned earlier in the discussion that you're up to seven figures in top line gross revenue. Mm-hmm. That's tremendous growth. Can you talk you. to us and tell us a little bit about what you did to accomplish that kind of a, that kind of growth in, in such a short period of time? Yeah. So a lot of it has been kind of auditing our business model. And initially we started out with like stuff that just didn't make sense. Like early on, it was you paid $400 a month and we'd take an unlimited amount of calls. Well, obviously that's not scalable, <laughs> right? Like that worked when it was me and five buddies. But so then we moved to a model of, we tried kind of modeling like Pat Live, which charges per call and per minute. But what we realized with that model is it's just so unpredictable for people. They have no clue, is their bill going to be $400 or 1200 right? So what we moved over to now is a model of there's a monthly recurring, and then they purchase basically buckets of calls. So as their volume goes up, they tap into the next bucket. The neat thing for them is the more volume they do, the cheaper it gets for them. But for us, we have kind of this nice, um, you know, monthly recurring revenue that that's what we hire off of. That's what we promote off of. Um, So the physical growth came off of online advertising. So primarily Facebook and Instagram and kind of converting cold traffic, getting them to know who we are, getting them to like us and then getting them on the phone with us. So, you know, sales guy doing, uh, initially we did over the phone pitches. We realized Zoom calls actually convert better. So all of our sales are done through Zoom now. Okay. So Facebook, Instagram, so I guess a whole lot of online advertising or were you building organic growth by building like Facebook groups and just an Instagram following? We didn't do anything organic. It was pretty much all paid initially. I run a Facebook group now, but we've also kind of gotten pretty good brand recognition in the industry. A lot of people know who Call Porter is and don't know who I am. So it was a lot of offering them a lead magnet, something of value, right? Here's how I did X. Give me your email to find out why. 
that adds them to an email sequence where they're routinely seeing us in their email inbox. And then um, we also do quite a bit of retargeting to those people once they are in that audience. And our goal is every single post they see from us, anytime we show up and try to grab their attention, it's something they want to see. So we're dealing with investors. So I'm just peppering them. I mean, I have a couple hundred ads at this point of here's how I do this. Here's how I do this. The vast majority of our ads are asking for nothing. We may be in those group of, you know, a hundred that they're going to see maybe five are, Hey, why don't you hop on the phone with us? Most of our hop on the phone with us, uh, call to actions actually come through email because they're getting familiar with us. So our, our email open rates and stuff are, are pretty stellar. Wow. So basically anybody that's familiar with online marketing, what you just described is you built a really sophisticated funnel for, for directing traffic to your business. Correct. So a lot of people use funnels to sell courses or sell content or products, but you were using a funnel to basically build a clientele for your business. Yeah. So, I mean, we used ClickFunnels for our opt-ins. We use a company called ActiveCampaign for our email automations. Um, ActiveCampaign is stellar uh, for any business owner. You can do things like if you have an email list on some of their plans, you can predictively send emails based off of historically when people have opened your emails. So instead of everybody getting the email at 9 a.m., if we know Jay checks his email at 6.30 on the dot, he's going to get an email at 629. So if that's when he typically is opening our emails, we're going to facilitate that timing. So active campaigns, great for that. Um, we use a program called schedule once to get people on our calendar. Um, that has some neat automations. Like at one point we had a problem of people not showing up for our calls schedule once fixed that you can send text message and email reminders with stuff like, you know, Hey, going to talk to you in 15 minutes, looking forward to it. They get a text the day before or the week before. So it's, we're really reminding them. And then we also kind of go the shame route a little bit if they miss the call of like, hey man, here waiting on you, what's up? And that's all automated. So that's in a nutshell what the what the kind of pieces we're using are. Early on, we used PayPal for billing. We now use Stripe. So it sounds like with the sophistication of this funnel and all of the ways you have everything automated and built in all of these different touch points throughout the process, all the content that you're delivering to these prospective clients and so on, it is it uh, is it a kind of easy conversion rate once you actually get those people on the phone or what's that looking like for you? Yeah. So our closing percentage on average is about 35%. And that's like week over week. That doesn't count people who sign up after the fact. The biggest thing with us is because of how we're priced, our minimum is 500 a month. So for like brand new investors who the there's this romantic idea of it being passive and they don't have to take their own calls. When we kind of hit them with, yeah, it's $500 a month. Some of them kind of like swoon. I'm like, oh, oh no, I need to, yeah, I need to talk to my wife right now. Okay. Yeah. Like they, they rush off real quick. <laughs> so you have... It sounds like if, if I go back through you, 27 employees and you had like a CEO, a COO, a general manager, an admin, fractional CFO. So that leaves about 20, 21, 22 people that are actually answering the phones. Correct. And so Carol and I, we we do some direct mail and Carol's always been the one that's answered the phones for us. She's amazing at it. And My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> she, 
she actually that is a strong I woman you've it. got there, Jay. I <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. I know it's she, kind of bizarre, she, but I do. She, anyway, she she wouldn't want to outsource it. She absolutely loves I talking just to love people, chatting with people. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so fun. But it's made me realize just watching her do this over the years. I've seen that she's gotten so much better at it. She's started to to learn patterns and and techniques that work, things that don't work that she kind of drops yep. and. It's it's been a long process. So what? How do you train these people that are coming in that don't necessarily know anything about real estate? Don't necessarily know about. Uh, I guess it's not selling, but it's converting a lead, a cold lead, mm-hmm. to a warm lead. How do you how do you train these employees? Yeah, so we've got a decent amount of um, video content they go through that's also backed by like quizzes. So if they can't test out of that section, they're not ready to be on the phones. Um, when they're on the phones, they're physically there with our manager. Um, like she's over their shoulder, all calls are monitored and recorded. Um, there's, there's a pretty decent amount of involvement. Our approach though, this is very how to win friends and influence people based. That's how I try to make everything I do. So it's not like this 50 point questionnaire. It's like, Hey Jay, what, what do I need to know about the, about your situation? What can you tell me about the house? Um, and we've got like, you know, there's things they will dig in on where like the skills more come in, right? So what kind of shape is the house in? It's obviously an important question. Uh, a lot of people will tell you, oh, it's great. needs nothing. And we kind of chuckle and, you know, hey, I tell you what, I haven't, I haven't ran into one yet that needs nothing. You know, is there anything that kind of needs updated? You know, everybody's got a honey-do list. What does yours look like? And if that doesn't get it out, they'll hit again with, tell you what, you want a gift card to Home Depot for 25 grand. What are you remodeling? Yep. I, I love yep. that oh, question. I love you know, that oh, everything, you know, <laughs> let's, you start to get much more of a real picture. Um, same thing. Like they'll get into asking price. What are they wanting to sell the house for that kind of stuff? And it's all, you know, Hey, what are you looking to get out of the property? Is that negotiable? How did you come to that number? So it's, it's very like, it's all rapport driven. It's pretty comical because back when I used to run my own appointments in my own company, we'd have sellers that I'd show up and they would be bummed that my call porter employee wasn't there with me. Um, or a lot of them would just assume it was my spouse, which is really awkward when you bring your wife on an appointment and they're like, where's Lauren? And your wife's like. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. That is great. I think the point of that though, what I find so fascinating is we're, we just started digging into, we're going to dig into it more, automating your business. But it sounds like even the training your employees is very automated. It sounds like you're, you're in, and correct me or correct me if I'm, if I'm misrepresenting, but it sounds like you're hiring for these soft skills anyway, but then with all these videos and the quizzes and everything attached, it's guiding them through the right questions to ask in specific situations. And that's all automated. Is that accurate? Yeah. So we kind of have like a framework of points they need to hit on the call, minimums of what they need to hit on the call. We just recently invested pretty heavily into a new call center software that's absolutely insane. Um, I don't even know that we've told our clients about this yet, but it does things like it will monitor calls live. And if somebody on my staff swears, we'll flag the call and email it to a manager for review. If it even detects that one of my employees has a bad attitude based off the EQ patterns in their voice, it'll send it to us. Um, and if the manager's logged in live, it will pull the call up and say, Hey, you need to listen to this right now. So pretty nuts. Amazing. And so uh, I'm going to kind of go off on a quick little tangent here. Have you, have you considered creating a call center that does stuff? I know you mentioned you, you're real estate, real estate, real estate, nothing but real estate, but it sounds like you've got such a 
streamlined operation with great employees, great technology, uh, great training. Have you ever considered using um, this this technology and this infrastructure to do stuff outside of real estate call center? Yeah, so we probably will. It would be a totally separate business with its own staff. We early on, I think what kind of got us well known was that we were only real estate specific. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we've had uh, same thing with us being U.S. based. We've had all kinds of you know, companies come to us and, hey, you can actually outsource all your calls to us. We'll handle them. You know, your margins are going to improve. But it's like, no, your people aren't going to be trained like mine are. You know, oh, you can use overseas VAs. Well, we've built our brand on not using that. So we're not going to now compromise that. I do think probably within the next year or two, we will roll out an answering service for just businesses in general, simply just for scalability. Um, you know, there's a lot of real estate investors. There's a lot more business owners. <laughs> so Definitely. Uh, there are lots yeah. of them. And the, the call center, you mentioned St. Louis earlier. So the mm-hmm. call center is physically in St. Louis? Yeah, so kind of. So all of our employees actually work from home. Um, oh, okay. We do have an office that they can come into if they're having internet issues at home. Um, and that's where new employees start just to make sure that we've, you know, we're not going to just like, turn them loose on their own. We've debated pulling everybody into an office, but we really kind of actually like the flexibility it gives our staff. We've got a lot of like um, single moms, retirees, um, not to mention kind of our our core values. We're really big on things like community and individual development. So, you know, hey, you've got two extra hours added to your day because you don't have to commute to an office somewhere in traffic. So it's it's a lot of like giving our employees the kind of lifestyle that we ourselves strive to have. Awesome. And what is it about that talent pool in St. Louis that makes St. Louis so special? So it's where I'm from initially. Uh, all of the car warranty companies are there. So okay. They're, okay. they're like training these people and then just burning them out. And then we pick up the cream of the crop. So give you a good example. My CEO of that business was the um, retentions manager, basically loss prevention um, in charge of saving all of the sales of this organization was over something like 50 million a year in retentions, had a team of 40, 50 people, uh, my older brother. So my sales pitch to him was, what's the least amount of money I can pay you? Cause I need you to come run this thing. Cause I don't want to do it. Got him for three grand. He was making what? six figures. So, uh, wow. got him for 36 a year. <laughs> We've now got him back up to what he was making before, but, uh, the person who replaced him was there for five years, incredible guy that they just treated absolutely awful. I just picked him up as a CEO for a different business I run. So I don't think I would get along well with their owners at this point, but it's kind of like I just, I troll their their higher level management. So the other kind of like perk, and this is almost like a Malcolm Gladwell advantage, is uh, I don't really have an, any sort of an accent. I don't sound like Eastern, Western. I don't sound super like Southern or Hickey. It really allows our staff to take calls for people around the country effectively. You know, different markets are different, but if you call into a call center and it sounds like the person's not local, you can get that pretty quick. St. Louis just diagraphically does pretty well. Um, The only place we get like pushback is in like Boston because we don't sound like an aggressive person from the Northeast. (laughs) uh, Yeah. 
That is very fun. Okay, so you have all of these employees working remotely throughout the St. Louis area, in addition to your smaller office, um, which is where I presume your C team works. Yep. Or do, are they remote too? Or is that okay? So they're they're there. Yep. So give us some more of the nuts and bolts because we haven't explored this yet on this show of having a team of employees that to that magnitude who work remotely. Like, how do you check in with them? How do you record data on what they're doing? Mm-hmm. All of those types of things. Because I would suspect there are lots of great advantages, like you already started to mention, with having these remote employees. But how do you there, physically how do you manage them? Sure. <laughs> so, so early on, we used a software app. I believe it was called Hubstaff that kind of does like what Upwork, the uh, VA website does. Mm -hmm. It would record screen grabs of what they're doing, track activity, things of that nature. So we use some of that kind of tech now too, but our call center software as well shows us things like how fast are they picking up? How many calls are they missing? Um, Is there high background noise on a call? Like, are they watching TV like to prevent anything like that? And then it's really, uh, we use Slack. So we're constantly kind of chatting with our teams. Um, our system has some gamification built into it where they can like, uh, this is the new call center software, but it'll do things like, hey, if you pick up your calls in under X amount of time today, you're going to get 500 gold coins, which you can use to purchase a day off. That's cool. But our employees can do things like bet against each other. So like, hey, I bet you I'll beat you today and I'm going to bet you a thousand coins. So it kind of makes it like kind of fun, which call centers <laughs> normally aren't. Um and just community is a really big core value for us. So we do things like, you know, fall picnics. We take them to baseball games, um, holiday parties. We do stuff like, you know, hey, we're going to be reading this personal development book. Anybody who reads it, fills out a book report is going to get, you know, a, a monetary bonus. It's really a lot of like, I would say our biggest thing when hiring is culture and our co- our core values. Do you... Do you fit our team or not? If you're abrasive, if you're rude, if you're selfish, it's not going to work out. That's awesome. So I know that there are a lot of real estate investors in our audience and our listening audience. And so um, I'm just curious for them because they're probably wondering this as well. Uh, A lot of times we like to take our own calls because like, again, with Carol and myself, we take our own calls because Carol's really good at it. We're control freaks. Um, and we don't want to necessarily outsource because we always think, okay, other people can't do it as well as we can. They don't they don't know our business as well as we do. They don't know our houses as well as we do or our model as well as we do. What are you doing to kind of to track your success metrics to ensure that you are um, I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this, to ensure that that you are doing everything you can to be as successful for sure. your clients as they could be for themselves. How do you customize the call experience based on different businesses or different clients? Um, how do you ensure that your 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 phone answers are achieving? What do the metrics look like? What are they trying to accomplish? Sure. What are the calls to action that that they're going after? Yeah. So the biggest like chief thing we focus on is rapport. Get to know this person. Make them feel connected to you. I think I'm, I'm going to address this in two parts. So the first part is the mindset of nobody can do this like I can. Being a little like open and raw, uh, my dad always owned his own businesses, and that was his linchpin of failure. Um, he no incredible work. Uh, like he did security systems and home theater. You would look at wiring he ran, and it was like this is a work of art. Nobody else did it like he did. The problem with that mentality, it got him into debt. Currently, he needs reconstructive surgery in both of his shoulders. 
and has a day job working for somebody else. Um, totally just burned through his body. Uh, and that was kind of his issue. So early on when I started, I made kind of the decision of I will not own or run businesses in which I am the linchpin. So I tried early on, but like you, Jay, I'm married. I was taking my own calls. My wife was only cool with me getting up from a dinner so many times before it started to become a point of contention. Not to mention, I don't know what kind of marketing you guys are doing or the volume, but what if you have two calls coming at once? You're missing. You're missing something. So I definitely get that. Everything we do is tested on my business first. So if we decide, hey, we're going to try this new um, approach of trying to get to an appointment, they test it on my real estate company first. They do stuff that, quite frankly, I doubt you guys do. So for instance, call comes in and it's a pickup hangup. You never even talk to them. My staff automatically calls that lead back five times. Oh, wow. I don't know investors that work their leads that hard. Right. Awesome. Um, yeah. Something comes in after hours. It's automatically called back five times. So the metrics we kind of track with our staff is how fast are they answering their calls? Um, most of the competitors out there that we've seen, it's anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute plus. Our average is around 12 seconds. And we're actually working on getting that under 10. Things like the amount of calls that are answered live. Our goal is 100 percent, but that's humanly impossible. You know, one client drops 40,000 pieces of mail and doesn't tell us, even 27 employees, there's going to be some some hiccups. So tracking that percentage, we're on average about 95% of incoming calls are answered live. Um, if something gets missed, it's automatically added to that. And we've, we have clients that will give us their data from other call centers. So we know we're like, we're, we're really leading the pack here, setting some new standards. Um, as far as like on the actual calls, it really is up to our clients. So some clients will come to us and they'll say, hey, you know, Ryan, I'm just, uh, I'm a bad dude. I close everything. Get me in front of people. And I'm just going to lock up contracts left and right. So we use more coffees for closers approach with them and push everything to an appointment. We have other people that are like, you know, hey, if they're not waiting with milk and fresh baked cookies and they haven't drafted the contract, don't book the appointment for me. So it's really kind of figuring out what their preferences are and tweaking I will say like legit investors that are doing volume stick with us indefinitely. One of our clients does about 4 million a year in revenue and they switched from a different answering service to us. And he told me the biggest change was they knew if it was a call we took that we probably didn't screw it up, <laughs> right? So oh my um, it's uh, kind of our, our metrics, what we see, it's about a third, a third, a third. So 33% of people say, take me off your list. I'm not interested in selling to you. A third of people are interested, but not there's, it may be, there's a tenant there. They want to check with the owner before, or they want to check with the tenant before they book an appointment and bring somebody in. And then a third of those, we schedule an appointment on that initial call. Wow. That's so a third, you're actually scheduling appointment. That, uh, that's, that's really good. Carol, what, what do you think ours is for actually getting in, in front of the... <laughs> Certainly not a third. Let's just, <laughs> let's just, let's just leave it at that. But it sounds like, right. And everything you're talking about, it sounds like you have this whole rapport, like you said, built throughout the dialogue 
uh, that the that the prospects have with your people in the call center. It also sounds like, again, that's ingrained throughout your corporate culture. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's also ingrained between your culture and your potential clients. So how did, how did that just naturally evolve or was that a strategic decision from, from the get-go of this business, this whole, this whole concept of having to create this amazing customer experience and this rapport? How did that all come about? So early on, I knew nothing about company culture, core values, mission statements. It was like, why are you sucking today? Can you do better? I mean, like that was, <laughs> that was how this started. Um, that was actually one of the things that I really think on top of our advertising helped us grow pretty dramatically was establishing core values. And we now kind of had written what we expected out of people. And it took hiring and firing from kind of this emotional off the cuff thing to these are the core values that we hold dear and you're not meeting them. So it it made like the litmus test became yes or no, not like, well, I mean, they're kind of a nice person. They've got two kids. You know, we, we know their brother. I mean, it just became like you either make the cut or you don't. And I mean, that's not to say we don't do performance plans and stuff like that, but with the rapport piece, we also have our clients tie that in. So one of the biggest things we recommend when they get to the appointment is mention by name which of our employees took the call and our clients act like my staff are their like their in-house team. So, you know, hey, Josh okay. from my team said incredible things about you, kind of brought me up to speed. Um, why don't you kind of give me a quick recap? Give me a tour of the house. So we're connecting this whole piece of here's who you spoke with. So it's very connected instead of them being like, well, who were who you again? When the person shows up for the appointment. Sure. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash business. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash BP business. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, 
and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. I love the fact that you built this business around an industry that you knew well, that you're actually, I mean, it, I, I worked for Microsoft for a long time and we referred to it as eating your own dog food. Basically, you were you were the first customer of your business. And you even said earlier in the conversation that everything you do is something that you test on yourself first. And I love that. And it ensures that your clients are getting the best experience possible. Okay, I, I want to transition a little bit because we talked earlier about what your team looks like. And you mentioned that you have a C-level staff. You have a CEO, you have a COO, uh, you have a, a part-time CFO and, and general manager. That's pretty rare for a business that's three years old. I think you would probably still classify it as, as a small business. I mean, most yeah, businesses are, are, are small businesses. In our experience, talking to people that have businesses of that age, just a couple years old and that level of revenue, typically the owner isn't comfortable relinquishing control, but you obviously are comfortable relinquishing control. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's your day-to-day responsibility in the business now versus what you hand off to your C team and where do you go from here? Sure. My job is exactly what I want it to be. And that's content creation is one of my favorite things to do. Love writing our ads, writing our posts, being involved in our email marketing, that kind of stuff. I'm over like big picture decisions. Like we're having an app built out um, next year that will like give clients push notifications of calls. It'll give them like, you know, hey, congrats on your first appointment getting booked. You know, hey, you've saved 100 hours of your life hiring us, like that kind of stuff. But it'll let them see real calls, real metrics, real data in real time. So like that kind of stuff comes across my desk. Hey, are we okay to do this? Kind of big picture financial decisions and then like new partnerships and stuff get bounced off of me. Um, new like business angles of stuff that goes through me. But like realistically, this is less than a four hour work week for me at this point and pays me a pretty handsome salary. So yeah, it's kind of where we're at. <laughs> How many hours a week would you say you're working in the business? I mean, a week, two, one or two. <laughs> I mean, like not, not That's much. amazing. That's amazing that you've grown it this quickly and this successfully in such a short amount of time. And you're already to the point where you can relinquish all that control and still enjoy the successes of it. That's phenomenal. So, yeah. So, I mean, big picture. I mean, so it's, it truly is. I act as the visionary in the business. Our COO acts as the integrator with our CEO Sometimes I'll come up with ideas and they're like, that's terrible. That doesn't make sense. It's great to have people that will tell you no. Other times they're like, oh my gosh, why haven't we been doing that? Yeah, I, 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 and I'll point out because a lot of people are listening to this and they're not watching this and they don't see you. And, and uh, can I ask how old you are? Uh, so I just turned 26. Okay, so you are very young for an entrepreneur. Uh, certainly, certainly for an entrepreneur with this level of success. I love the fact that you have figured out at this age um, we use the cliche often work on your business, not in it. Um, yeah. But that's easier said than done. And a lot of us, myself included, and a lot of entrepreneurs we talk to, they are 10, 15, 20, 25 years into their 
entrepreneurship and their business ownership before they recognize that, hey, I need to kind of pull myself out and put somebody else in charge. You figured that out, obviously, very young and very early in your entrepreneurial career. Was there some role model that taught you this? How did how did the whole idea of building your business and, and not being sucked into it come about? So, I mean, part of it was watching my dad, who like, despite the fact that I've learned some lessons from his mistakes, I look up to more than just about anyone. The second kind of cautionary tale for me was my grandpa. So my grandpa did um, biopharmaceutical sales for a German company, pretty much traveled the country, the world with somebody I super looked up to. His relationship with my grandma kind of rapidly deteriorated over the years, got to the point that like she was at home all the time, alone all the time. You know, he'd be home like a day or two out of the month. And when he retired, it was really cool to watch them kind of like fall back into love. The fact that they stayed married over all these years. And uh, a year after that, she had a stroke and is now kind of at the mental capacity of like a 12 year old. So so sorry. Yeah. So I watched that happen and kind of looked at looked at my life and was like, okay, I I was working. 2016 was a pretty rough year for me just across the board, but I was working 18 to 20 hour days. And my wife was going to bed alone. And that was kind of about the time this stuff happened. And I was like, this is not what I want. I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't quit a job to go into business for myself to have a job that I couldn't pay anybody to do. <laughs> like no one would take the salary I was paying myself back then for the work I was doing. So I kind of had just those cautionary tales. And then just, you know, I was in a couple of masterminds, surrounded myself with people that ran big businesses and just asked, like, you know, I was I trying to be the dumb guy in the room. So just asked a lot of questions and kind of just like plugged it in. I would actually say my challenge is sometimes I hand stuff off too fast. So it is kind of like a a double-edged sword. But I think the biggest thing I've learned is I can't be in a position to focus on growing a business if I'm the one also putting out the fires, doing the sales, handling collections. Uh, You just, you don't have the mental bandwidth and it's pretty hard to go from the inspiration of creating when you were just collecting on somebody who issued a charge back for services you provided. Yeah, I, I'm going to, and, and I, I want to take this because uh, I want to throw out a quote that I've heard from you before that I absolutely love. And, and again, this is your quote. Uh, I, I've heard you say, building business, build a business that serves you, not enslaves you. And, and, and I really love that. I mean, it's basically bu- businesses are a tool. They're a tool yeah. for us to get what we what we need to to survive and thrive and and take care of our family and help take care of other people. But too many of us kind of end up, like you said, enslaved in that business and 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 not getting what we want out of it, but it taking from us. And yeah. so I, I just love the fact that that you figured out so early in your career uh, how to do that. And thank you for sharing that with us, your, your, your tips. So do you have any other words of wisdom for people that might be looking to start a business and, and how they can do it the right way? So I love your Microsoft quote of eating your own dog food. That's absolutely going in my vocabulary. <laughs> not um, my, not my quote. That's the company quote, but, your, uh, <laughs> your Microsoft quote. So <laughs> yes. Microsoft's quote you introduced me to. <laughs> yes. I think that's a really good point. Um, especially in real estate investing, I've seen a lot of people try investing, realize it's kind of hard and decide to become a service provider. I personally don't really respect or use vendors that don't have firsthand experience for the most part. You know, it's kind of hard 
to expect somebody to do something the right way when they've never done it the right way for themselves. So I really recommend like if there's a particular business that you want to create a product and for instance, I've got a buddy who's coming out with, uh, and I'll give him a shout out, guy's name's Sherrod, the company's ReSimply, is coming out with the most incredible CRM for real estate investing you've ever seen. The guy's an accountant by day. So the back end of this software is literally like QuickBooks. It logs into your accounts, reconciles transactions, actually shows you profits and losses based off your actuals. No investors are treating their business this way. The guy owns 70 doors. He's been on Bigger Pockets podcasts before, has been an investor for years, and has been working on this product for five years before it's coming to market. So um, the result of that is what he's built is incredible. Um, he's actually had some competitors reach out and try to tell him not to launch. <laughs> so you know you've built something good then. So I would just say learn the business before you try to you know sell shovels in it. And I would say that especially goes for like coaching or mentoring in an industry. You know, I had somebody hit me up on Instagram that was like, hey, it looks like you're pretty busy. Why don't you just sell my course for me to people and uh, I'll throw you a cut. And it was like, well, what have you done? <laughs> like you didn't teach me how to do so. Um, I remember early on, I had a mentor of mine who kept asking me, hey, are you going to go into coaching? You're going to go into coaching? You're going to go into coaching? And uh, I didn't till I owned 9 million in rentals and had multiple seven figure businesses and felt like, hey, I can actually help people instead of like, maybe I got lucky on one deal, but I'm going to roll out a program for 997. Yeah, de definitely. It's it's funny because there are two mentalities there. I see people that like are ready to jump into coaching after their first deal. And then people like you and me who they've done hundreds of deals and they still don't feel like they're, they're uh, Dude, I was like afraid to do it. To do it. I, <laughs> I was like, I don't know that I'm good enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ryan, overall, I must say you're incredibly humble. You've achieved so much success in so many different areas. And the fact that you've grown and you're still just so humble about all of it is just really awesome and inspiring. Thank so thank you for that. Yeah. Cool. Well, now, if it's okay with you, we'd love to jump into the final segment of the show that we call Four More. And this is where we're going to ask you the same four rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. And then after that, we'll jump into the more part where cool. we'd love to give you an opportunity to tell us more about where we can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Sound good? Yep. Okay. Then I will take the first question. Ryan, what was your first or your worst, I'll let you decide, job and what lessons did you take from it that you're using today? So I'm going to give you... Uh... I'm going to give you my first job. So my first real job, I worked at a, uh, I worked at like an ice cream, like a malt shop. Um, and I'm going to confess something that I've never told anyone before. So okay. when I was back in the kitchen and like half made stuff, would, so like you put it in like the cans and stuff that like cleans it, right? Uh -huh. I'd be back there just like <laughs> just eating it. Um, long story short, I didn't last very long there. Um, so that wasn't actually what got me fired. So, um, there was a girl who was a manager that was just really, really hard to work with. She'd tell you to do one thing and then would flip flop to something else. And, um, I think my ego was what got me fired at that job is she'd tell me to do something. I would do it. She'd tell me to do something else and I would go do it. But then I was like, I had like a really bad attitude about just kind of her style of management. So it was one of like, it was just kind of a good, like, okay, I have to, I think it took me from like, I think I was 16 or 17 at the time from, I can't act like a kid. I have to act like a professional. So, uh, yeah, but I ate a lot of free ice cream. So it's <laughs> <laughs> an awesome benefit right there. And I want to clarify, this was like, like not like out of customers used dishes. This was off of the clean equipment. So <laughs> 
still absolutely disgusting and probably a health code violation, but. Yeah, that's all right. No, no, you're fine. Okay, I'll take the second question. Ryan, what was the defining moment when you realized that you had an entrepreneurial itch? So I actually kind of like, this is kind of weird for me. So when I was 12 years old, um, I wrote myself a letter that I don't have anymore because I'm not sentimental, (laughs) but the, the theme of it, I think it was only one or two sentences was, I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be average. I don't want to have a day job. I think that kind of came from my dad. So, you know, I I did the rational thing and got a full-time job at 17, working on a sales floor for four years. But I think that was really kind of the like words I've always looked back at. At 12. I love that, that you did that at 12. And can I clarify something there real quick? I know we're supposed to be rapid firing. You started working full time 17. So that means you didn't go to college. Am I, am I guessing (laughs) that correctly? I was, uh, I was in public school through eighth grade and I had some friends who were homeschooled. So I sold my parents on, Hey, let me homeschool. And uh, about 10th grade, my mom was just kind of like, I'm done. (laughs) So um, I like technically didn't graduate. The state of Missouri says you've graduated whenever your mom says you've graduated. So my mom was like, yeah, you're done. Um, But realistically, my education pretty much stopped around like ninth grade. So I don't have a diploma. I don't have a GED. I didn't go to college. Amazed. That is so cool. Talk about inspirational, right, honey? I'm like, this is just awesome all That's, the way around. Wow. The story is just absolutely amazing. Love that. Love it. Thanks, guys. Okay. Love it. Question number three. So what's some of the worst advice that you hear in your industry? And I know when we talk about your industry, there's real estate, there's, there's your <laughs> businesses. I'm going to let you pick what, what, what you want to consider your industry, but what's some of the worst advice that you tend to hear? And how do you turn that around and turn it into good advice? So... I think I would say the worst advice I've heard, and this is hard because there's a fine line here, is like the just take action crowd. Yep. Like that's there's a nice romantic view to that of like, you're just going to figure it out. But in real estate investing in business, you're doing things that can get you sued. So like the amount of times I, um, or you're going to do things that cost you money. I was, uh, on a zoom call, um, for another business. They hired me to do some with some of their members and some girl comes through chat and says, uh, I bought a house from some people and how do I get the deed? And I was like, well, if you bought the house, sweetheart, you should have the deed. (laughs) And she wired some people like $40,000 went out to meet with them to see the house. And they met with her and they're like, yeah, you know, we, uh, we, don't have the deed. There's nothing in writing. I was like, you need to hire an attorney now. She just took action and that cost her. I mean, she's not going to ever get that property. So I also have a lot of people that'll reach out and be like, Hey, I got this deal under contract. Now what? Well, how do we know it's a deal? Who are you going to sell it to? Do you have the money? So there's, I think it's like, you need to do enough research that you understand A to Z, the process. You don't have to understand everything, but you also can't just like, oh yeah, I got this deal under contract. We had somebody go under contract with us. And Jay, I think you've had this experience as well to buy a house, uh, didn't wire in money. So we closed on the property and, oh, you know, gave him an extension, didn't close again. And now doesn't want to release EMD. So he's getting served by my lawyer uh, today. <laughs> so, Great timing. you know, it's, it's like, but if that's a new investor, Yep. You know, they're now in some pretty hot water over something that had they done a little bit of research or acted a little bit more honestly, they wouldn't be in trouble. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We, we just, uh, about a month and a half ago, we finished up a lawsuit where, um, a buyer, uh, backed out of a deal at the last minute, didn't tell anybody, wouldn't release the, uh, earnest money. And long story short, it was $10,000 in earnest money that it wasn't even his. He borrowed it from somebody else. And ultimately all said and done, we got $55,000 from him. So yeah, it, it was, it was a lot yeah, I mean, worse. This, than- this was like 3,500. Our issue with him was he went to title and signed both times and then never oh, wow. wired in. So we told him he can pay us an extra 5k in damages and release EMD or, or we'll go further than that. So we'll see what he does. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Carol, you want to take your favorite question? Oh my gosh, this is my favorite question. I didn't realize we were there already. Okay, Ryan, what is something in either your personal or professional life that you've splurged on along the way that was totally worth it? So I'm going to give you two answers. First one was really like masterminds. I look for people that are uniquely successful in fields that I'm interested in. And my goal is to buy their program, their course, their mastermind and become a case study where I'm then basically buddy-buddy with that person. Um, So like there was a guy whose course I bought back when I was broke. I split it up into payments, put them on a credit card. And now off of Facebook ads, I've generated over seven figures. So I'm like one of his top testimonials, but he's somebody that I can shoot a message to and have reply. And this is somebody who does a million dollars a month off of Facebook stuff, right? So there was another group we hired around more of like the business structure, which is probably why I have a C team so early. Um, And we paid them like 85 grand in uh, 2018. So um, really kind of like these guys are uniquely qualified. Let's follow them. The other thing I did, and I don't know how much of a splurge this technically is or isn't, but when I initially started out, there was a particular watch that I wanted. It's uh, made by Tudor. Uh, It was in partnership with Ducati. It was about 3,500 bucks. Now, this was back like, you know, dead broke day job was like, man, someday I'm going to have a watch like this. And uh, I kept setting these metrics of I'll buy it when I get to this level. I'll buy it when I do this. And it was, you know, once I have a a six figure business, I'll buy it. And then I didn't do it. Once I own 50 rentals, I'll do it. And I didn't. Then 100 rentals, then a seven figure company. So it was honestly like six, seven months ago, I woke up and I was like, I owe this to myself. I'm just going to do it. And it was actually kind of an emotional experience for me of like, I earned this. I am worth this. Um, It is okay for me to do this. I grew up very middle class. I didn't come from money. Um, I think if my parents listen to this and find out I dropped thousands of dollars on a watch, you know, (laughs) I'll, I'll get a call. But that for me was just a big like kind of mindset shift of not like I've made it because I don't think you ever really make it, but like, hey, I'm doing this thing I set out to do. I love that. And and especially in, I mean, again, I, I'm, we're talking about your business, but I, I know you're primarily, you start as a real estate investor, especially in the real estate field. You hear too many people that are just the opposite. They're very much the, uh, I just finished my second wholesale deal. I made $18,000. I'm going to go buy a Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're now I will to- say in defense of that, I'm a car guy, uh, Mark Ferguson, <laughs> Uh, I was one of the, actually one of the people that really got me interested in real estate. And I am probably buying a Ferrari next year. Excellent. Uh, (laughs) But but this is like a, I am a car guy first and foremost, but that was actually how I found real estate. I remember Googling, how do people afford Lamborghinis? Um, And I actually stumbled on something by Mark, who's a, a pretty good friend of mine now. 
Yeah, Mark's a good friend of ours as well, co-author of one of our oh, books. Oh, yeah, and, duh. And, and, I've, I've given <laughs> and, out your guys' okay. book to tons of clients. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I, I love the fact that Mark's figured out how to actually turn uh, buying cars into an investment as well. So yep. it's not it's not just throwing away money. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for that. So now we're going to jump into the more part of the four more, and this is where we're going to give you an opportunity to tell us more about uh, where people can hook up with you, can find out more about you, find out more about your business and uh, connect with you if they'd like to. Yeah. So super easy. Um, my name, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Dossie, D-O-S-S-E-Y.com. Um, they'll take you to my main website, walks you through the companies I own, contact info for me. Um, I'm also pretty active on Instagram and my handle is just Ryan C as in Christopher Dossie. Ryan, this was absolutely fantastic. It was yeah, guys, great was talking to you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. You're great. Really inspiring. So thank you so much. And we look forward to having you back in a year or two and hearing about uh, how, how much further your company has grown and exploded. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. That was so much fun. I can't believe that at the age of 26, he has figured out something, well, a lot of things that many of us have not even figured out into our 30s, 40s, and 50s. I mean, just the fact that he he gets the idea of working on his business and not in his business, putting people that uh, can really run the business in charge, and then focusing his time on the stuff that he loves and the stuff that really impacts his business is just amazing. I, I couldn't agree more. It's just every single thing about his story was so great. And I loved how he was all about building that rapport within his company and making sure it's super fun for the employees. And, and just the fact that he has so much humility, he is so humble and he's so modest about everything he's done. I just think he's absolutely amazing. I totally enjoyed his conversation. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait to see where he is in 10 and 20 years. Incredible. Yep. Alrighty. I think if that's all we've got, we can uh, take this one home. You ready? Let's do it. Alrighty. Have a great day, everybody. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now go build a business that serves you today. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.